Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast. Joining me once again is our good friend Robert Daly, who is the Kissinger Institute Director at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Robert, thanks so much for joining us yet again. Seems like I keep having to turn to you for some China expertise. Good to be back with you. The need for China expertise, such as it is, uh, never goes away. It never goes away. And nonpartisan expertise. And what we're going to do today is going to bring our listeners here on the Need to Know podcast the audio from a briefing that Robert did for congressional staff uh, regarding Speaker Pelosi's possible trip to Taiwan. So we're going to dive into that. Let's go to the audio of that right now. Thanks again, Robert. Thank you. Appreciate everyone for joining us. I know this is a uh, briefing at the drop of a hat, but you know what? That's what the Wilson Center is good at. Robert Daly, our Kissinger Institute director, was kind enough to take a break out of the many media calls that he is getting and calls from uh, other, you know, uh, embassies and leaders and things like that looking for info because, hey, it's hard to get nonpartisan information on China And what we want to talk about today is the possibility of Speaker Pelosi traveling to Taiwan while she is on her Asia trip. Um, We want to talk about this as the first speaker to travel to Taiwan since Newt Gingrich in the 1990s. Uh, We've heard a lot of media reports about what the Chinese are saying, what possibilities are, some of which sound quite dire, and we thought that it would be good to really just talk some truth uh, about what's going on and and really uh, ground truth in in this situation. So, Robert, I want to kick it over to you. Um, I guess first, if you could just lay the the initial groundwork, do you think Speaker Pelosi will actually show up in Taiwan in the next few hours? It appears likely. I would say it's about 65-35 that she goes. Uh, Maybe a higher likelihood than that. We should certainly assume that she is going to. I think the Financial Times is now reporting that it's a done deal and that the, the plan is now in place. Uh, so yes, yeah, she's going to go. Uh, it looked like she was planning to go back in April, but she got COVID then. Uh, China was alarmed then, but they are even more alarmed now. And so there's been sort of a two-step process here, first in April. When she announced, when the speaker announced that she was going in April, it was not clear to me uh, what interest this was going to serve. I didn't see how yet another American trip uh, that we know is going to be provocative would advance Americans' interest or uh, do anything to stabilize U.S.-China relations, or most importantly, uh, what it would do to increase the security of the people of Taiwan. Uh, So ever since she announced the the rescheduled trip, there's been a fair amount of criticism and second guessing about the usefulness of this, including from the White House. Uh, President Biden, as you probably know, said in a rather off the cuff manner uh, that the military didn't think this was a good good time to do that. 
And there have been widely reported efforts of the White House since to try to convince her that this is not a good time, although, of course, they cannot order her not to go. We now have a second order problem or second order approach to this issue, which is that China has repeatedly made threats about uh, People's Liberation Army actions that might be taken if Pelosi goes. Now, we're, I think, certainly not talking about pulling triggers here. We are talking about things like uh, firing of missiles uh, ever closer to Taiwanese uh, assets in the Western Pacific. We may be talking about a full or partial escort of Speaker Pelosi's plane by uh, Chinese uh, fighter jets or perhaps a circumnavigation of the island. We don't know uh, what that's going to be. And now, because China has been uh, so bellicose and so consistent in its threats, the second order rationale for the trip is that many people in Washington are saying, well, because China's been threatening us, now she really has to go. Because to not go would be to back down and to give China leverage and give them a say over where Americans travel. Now, on the one hand, that concern obviously is, is, is reasonable. That's not hard to understand. Uh, but what it means is that it, the, the speaker may now be going to Taiwan to assert America's right to take an action, which was really not a very good idea in the first place. That's why I say it's, it's a second order justification uh, for going to Taiwan. I don't think that it brings us into conflict, but it brings us in closer to the chance of having a conflict because China uh, has been uh, so clear that it will take some unprecedented action. And they will do so because not not to do so at this point uh, would require them to back down in front of their own people. Right, because what you were saying about Pelosi needing to actually go now because of all this, the reverse is also true. It's also true. And every time you set a new precedent like this, you push a pawn on the chessboard. You change the baseline of known and acceptable behaviors on both sides in a way that is ever more threatening and brings us that much closer to conflict. And so do we want to do that? Do we really want to go that much closer to conflict? Or would it be uh, you know, wiser to find some way uh, to back out from doing this and then put more attention into some other aspect of the Taiwan question? You know, and, and notice now that a great deal of energy in both the United States and China is going into this escalatory game of, you know, I made this threat, so I have to do it because I'll look weak if I don't follow through. Our energies are going into this instead of actually trying to understand and frame and stabilize an increasingly dangerous relationship. We're not doing that. And so I think we're, we're getting ourselves into a pattern. And, and, and China, Aaron, I mean, just, you're right. Um, equally involved in this, uh, which I say brings us closer and closer to daggers drawn rather than closer to something like strategic stability talks. What is the basic background of this whole Taiwan issue? From China's point of view, it's quite simple. Uh, this is a piece of an unfinished civil war. Now, it's been unfinished for a long time, about 53 years, but China's uh, propaganda uh, apparatus, its historiographers, as well as its government and its people, have kept a pretty high flame under the Taiwanese issue, so that Taiwanese or the Chinese people still feel passionately about this. Uh, there are no great historical analogies, but suppose, for example, 
that at the time of the Civil War, uh, Puerto Rico had been a uh, state uh, and that it had joined the South and that uh, Robert E. Lee and Jeff Davis, rather than surrendering, had gone off to Puerto Rico and had managed to maintain Puerto Rico's independence ever since with the help of, pick a power, France, Russia, uh, whoever it is. That's sort of how China experiences this. And from their point of view, uh, that's a historically coherent story. Now, it has to be said, I think, immediately that from the American point of view, and this is the view that I uh, incline toward, the real irritant here is that the People's Republic of China continues to carry out a kind of uh, geopolitical blackmail, uh, threatening to invade and destroy a vibrant democracy. That, that from our point of view, is, is the source of this, not Chinese historiography. Those two positions are very far apart, probably irreconcilable, and we're increasingly dug in. But the question I would put to all of you uh, and, and to Congress is what do we hope to achieve specifically? Not just virtue signaling or sort of a saying, yes, I, I too support Taiwan, but how does this advance China, Taiwan's security? And what does this do to tone down frictions between the United States and China, which seem to be getting worse? What, what is the vision here? Uh, I think this is going to go ahead. The trip is not going to uh, instigate the Third World War, but it's going to move us several steps closer toward conflict and therefore several steps away from the kind of talks that I think we need to be in. And the reason we need to be in those talks is not because they're easy and not because uh, China's our friend or because we can change China, but because the goal of U.S.-China relations now needs to be to avoid armed conflict. We mustn't go to war with China. That's where I begin now uh, in thinking about these issues. Uh, we, we mustn't go to war uh, with the nuclear power, particularly in the Western Pacific, where China, and what I'm about to say, we don't, we don't like these, we don't like, you won't like this, but these are facts. Uh, China has an advantage of military capability, especially when we, we overall, of course, their military isn't nearly as capable as ours, but ours has a worldwide mission and therefore is dispersed worldwide. They have a, a bigger Navy, probably not with as much firepower overall, but in the Western Pacific, which is what they really care about, they have a preponderance of power and they have a weaponized Coast Guard and a weaponized fishing fleet. We have long sailing times from San Diego or, or from Oahu. In addition to that, China, you know, this big advantage of capability, proximity, but also of will of will. I, I, China sees bringing Taiwan back into the fold as part of a sacred mission, uh, which all of the evidence is they are both, they're patient about, but they're also willing to pay a high cost to achieve if they have to. I'm worried that the United States is going for e easy symbolic provocations without having really thought through what we are willing to do and what the American people are willing to pay. And so I'll, I'll, I'll end with that and with my desire to have us thinking this through much more strategically in the names of peace, rather than making small moves, both real and symbolic, month to month, to see how much China will tolerate and how, you know, how much we can get away with. I think we need to be careful about that. And with that, I would, I would love to hear
your views, uh, the concerns of your members, your committees, or yourself. Uh, any any questions at all? Thank you. Thank you, Robert. And of course, anybody who has any questions, feel free to place them in the chat. We'll we'll uh, pose them anonymously for uh, the purposes of the recording. Uh, Robert, I'll start off. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but you know, from the policymakers' perspective, uh, China's always agitated about something. There's, they're always in a, as what you have said before, a state of high dudgeon. And if you're always agitating about something, then it kind of it cheapens the response whenever something happens, right? So is there a possibility here that China is, you know, kind of, they're so, they've been so busy crying wolf all these, all these years that a visit from the speaker to Taiwan, obviously the United States Congress supports Taiwan. They've showed that many members over the years have shown that time after time after time. So it may not seem like that big of a deal for uh, so, so kind of give us, you know, is it really that big of a deal? Well, uh, it is an incremental escalation. You're right uh, that many in America see China as crying wolf. We do another arms sale or we have a retired or current leader make a visit or we meet uh, at the State Department with Taiwanese representatives, whatever it is. And China starts to, you know, foam at the mouth and 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 make all sorts of vague threats that don't seem to amount any to, to anything. So so why is this potentially different? A couple of reasons. Uh, one, the obvious one, US-China relations are worse once again. They're worse every time you and I speak. And now, you know, they they are worse once again. Two, uh, their rhetoric, they have moved beyond the sorts of things that they said before the fact in prior cases. Uh, they, they have really committed themselves repeatedly and somewhat explicitly before the Chinese people to doing something unprecedented using military assets. Again, I don't think that involves pushing a trigger, but they've said they're going to. Robert do Daly, he's the Kissinger director at the Wilson Center. And one of the reasons that they have to follow through with that more than usual is that this fall, there's going to be a major uh, conference of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the, the, the 20th Congress, at which Xi Jinping will get an unprecedented third term as China's leader, will probably be promoted even as China's leader with new titles, and may end up getting appointed for life. And so he needs stability, and he very much needs the appearance of strength. So they've got to do something meaningful here. And then the third thing that's different is that the Chinese government strongly dislikes Speaker Pelosi and has for a very long time. Ever since 1991 or so, uh, when she was relatively new to Congress, she was in China following the Tiananmen massacre of 1989, and she and a few other members went down to Tiananmen Square uh, and unfurled a scroll commemorating the dead of the Tiananmen massacre and had pictures taken of that. She has uh, been a major spokesperson for Chinese you know, human rights issues ever since, and they see her as a particular thorn in their side. Uh, she's also right now third, third in line to the presidency. And that makes it very hard for China to understand or believe the White House's claims that because of the separation of powers, President Biden can't tell Pelosi what to do. Now, they understand that in theory. 
They just don't believe it. Uh, in fact, that's not the way that power works in China. That's not the way that power works in Russia. That's not how they believe great powers really behave. So for those reasons, I think that we can be sure of some new pawn pushing, new baseline establishing, but probably not kinetic action on China's part. All right. A few questions that have come in, Robert. Isn't signifying U.S. support for Taiwan in the wake of the Russia-Ukraine war necessary for upholding democracy around the world? I guess part of this virtue signaling that you were talking about. Well, we've been doing that signaling more or less constantly. The question is whether a speaker's visit adds anything meaningful to that. Uh, I would say that the, this administration has gone to repeated and terrific pains ever since the invasion of Ukraine to say that this does not distract us from our greatest long-term geostrategic challenge, which is China. They've continued not only to build, but to expand the AUKUS relationship uh, with uh, the UK and Australia. They have uh, strengthened and had more meetings of the Quad. Uh, they, NATO has focused uh, with, with a, a strong prod from the Biden administration, not only on the Russian threat, but on China. So China is in no doubt uh, about this. We've done this repeatedly. The question is, does this visit do anything additionally, meaningfully, to enhance that? And I don't see any reason to think that it does. That message is heard pretty loud and clear. China assumes uh, that America would come to Taiwan's defense. It doesn't know that we would. I don't think that we know that we would. But it assumes in its scenarios and in its planning that we would. Uh, it has read all the same articles that everyone here has read about American efforts to make Taiwan an even spinier porcupine, uh, to make China think twice before launching an amphibious attack. So again, in, in principle, yes, we need to support Taiwan. Uh, the question is whether, because this is a particularly galling uh, trip for China, do we see, you know, an additional value of Speaker Pelosi going now? That was a question that should have been asked in a serious way prior to the leak. The problem, as I mentioned, is that now the second order concerns about not looking weak are carrying the day on both sides. This sort of it's both a, a big power signaling dynamic as well as sort of a schoolyard logic of power that seems to be driving us. So this this goes into the next question that came in, uh, because we there's sort of a an acceptable behavior baseline that has been changing, as we talked about at the very beginning of the of the briefing. Maybe U.S. actions are changing that. But as you also said, China's rhetoric is also changing that baseline of acceptable behavior. So the question is, if that baseline is inherently changing and it's out of our hands in this case, how in your mind do we still project strength while also cooling down China's rhetoric? Do we draw that red line uh, and what should we do or not do? Okay, well, I don't think it's ever entirely out of our hands. I think that we we have to repeatedly ask ourselves whether we think that over the long run, the American people are going to support war with China over Taiwan. We know from polling that there's a big gap. In general, the policy-making community inside the Beltway, inclusive of every branch of government and the military and the IC, uh, a majority of people say, yes, America should be willing to incur costs to keep Taiwan out of the People's Republic of China. But nationally, that's not true. 
Uh, most Americans, and I've probably said it to a lot of people in this group before, don't know the difference between Taiwan and Thailand and can't find either on a map. So how willing are they? That's one question. What else could we do? Uh, two different kinds of things. One, even as we are deterring China by trying to make Taiwan a better porcupine and more capable, we do need to also be in dialogue with China to try to clarify or even redefine the nature of our commitment both to the U.S.-China relationship and to Taiwan. We have blurred the lines. Yes, China has been aggressive, provocative, coercive, but we have also blurred the lines, and it's not clear that that's been done in accordance with a well-thought-out strategy. So we need to think it out and then begin discussions with China so that we're not only deterring them, but trying to reassure them. The other things we could do vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, we could start serious work on the BTA, the Bilateral Trade Agreement. Uh, President Tsai Ing-wen of Taiwan took a real risk before her own electorate when in pursuit of a BTA, she suggested that she would be willing to lower or reduce uh, Taiwan's objections to the use of ractopamine in the feed that goes into you know, pork and cattle. This is why this has been one of the big obstacles to a bilateral trade agreement with Taiwan is that they object to the feed that we put into agricultural products that we want to export. Okay, Tsai Ing-wen put something on the line for that and paid a political price for it. We've done nothing. We've done nothing to pursue that. So how about finding a way to do something concrete that helps the people of Taiwan with a bilateral trade agreement rather than playing this form of Russian roulette with their safety, whereby we keep testing China with new provocations to see what they'll accept. And, and this is one of my questions about U.S.-China relations overall. I've already mentioned you know, what we're doing AUKUS. We've strengthened the Quad. We have the biggest ever military budget. We've got NATO now looking at China. We are um, getting closer to Taiwan militarily. Now, it may be that all of those things are good things to do, that all of those make sense, and that certainly all of them have China's attention. But there's an imbalance in that we find it easiest to make the military moves, despite the fact that those moves are by far the most expensive and the most escalatory. But we don't make the economic and diplomatic moves which are less escalatory and far less expensive, even if we were to quintuple the State Department's budget. So, oh, of course we can't join CPTPP or we can't do a BTA with Taiwan. Uh, that's, that's a problem I think that we have. And it's, it's a lack of balance in our approach to you know, the, uh, the China threat and that I think it's over-militarized uh, because it's, it, there's a disproportional att uh, attention to diplomacy and economic moves. Well, something that, we haven't talked about yet that somebody brought up uh, in in a direct message to me here is the Chips Act, the the Chips Plus bill that included provisions to protect domestic chip manufacturing. U.S. technology is also preventing Chinese IP theft, Confucius Institutes, things like that. So is that a, is that a good example of what you were just talking about, or is that also politicized and a provocation? What, what do you think on that? That's more on the self-strengthening side. Uh, I very much support this act going forward. It's not really an act about China in the first instance. China is the framework. We've used the China threat because there's uh, you know, bipartisan agreement about that. 
to get members to agree that we need to strengthen our own educational system, our research and development. Uh, we need to do more semiconductor manufacturing here. But really, very few of those provisions are aimed directly at China in the first instance. It's more of a framing device, and it falls into the self-strengthening, increasing our own competitiveness piece, which is also vital. You know, the, the Biden administration talks about increasing our competitiveness, aligning better with our allies, uh, and then competing uh, with China from that position of strength perhaps still looking for areas to cooperate when we can. So yes, the self-strengthening piece is also key, but it's really neither here nor there uh, as far as the Taiwan question is concerned. Uh, another question is, how is the Chinese government talking about this to their media, social media? How are they amplifying this within the domestic population? How is it playing? They haven't been making nearly as much noise about it as they might. This is one of the places in which, again, from a Chinese government point of view, there's been restraint. Uh, there have been questions nearly every day put to the spokesperson of the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and he's been very clear. And then the usual people in the Chinese party-controlled media or the party-controlled internet, people like Hu Jin, uh, the former editor of the Global Times, uh, who suggested uh, earlier on that we, the, you know, China might shoot down Pelosi's plane. He then had his feed uh, cut off. Uh, but China's become very adept at issuing over-the-top statements just to sort of put it out there as a marker and then say, oh, no, 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 of course we didn't mean that, but it, you can't unsay it, right? So, but it, it hasn't been a full-court press uh, to make sure that the Chinese people are talking about nothing but this. No, they haven't overplayed it. Their messaging has been for the Chinese people, for our ears and for international ears, but they haven't... Um, you know, to, to, to use the usual spinal tap analogy, dialed it up to 11 yet. Uh, one final question for you. And as you know, you know, we're recording this for the Need to Know podcast. And my final question is always kind of an on the horizon question. This is kind of a short term on the horizon question. What does the world look like on Thursday after a Pelosi visit to Taiwan? What can we expect? What can people in Congress expect to do next or what happens next? Well, I think it'll look much the same on Thursday. I think that other shoes will fall, but not necessarily this week. You know, China will this week do something militarily that they haven't done before. Most of them are minute sort of signaling adjustments that most people in the United States will not understand, like flying across the median line in the Taiwan Straits, a phrase which is almost without meaning uh, to most of the American public or flying around Taiwan. It will be something that clearly is, a, is an escalation, but only for those who watch every move on the chessboard. However, if the Pelosi visit goes through, one of the, the, I think, potentially profound impacts it could have, which we won't understand the meaning of until we've, you know, a few more shoes have fallen and we've gone a few more rounds, is it really will absolutely lock in cement uh, the notion in China among policymakers and the public, the United States simply opposes China. You know, after the trade war and uh, COVID and everything that has come out of that, uh, Chinese public perceptions of the United States uh, have are now at historic lows. And with this too, it will simply cement the notion that no matter what the United States says, uh, we do oppose reunification, which was not a part of the one China policy. We'd always been neutral about that. We do support 
uh, Chinese will believe Taiwanese independence, and we are determined uh, to contain and limit China. I think that that will probably, and this is crystal ball stuff, so this crystal ball could all shatter by Thursday, right? Um, it will it will be a, a, a bigger factor than you might think in cementing that notion that the United States stands opposed to the People's Republic of China in all ways, full stop. That could be its biggest impact. And maybe we do. I mean, maybe that's true. You know, that that is is that correct? Maybe we don't we we don't mind that. But have we thought it through? Uh, again, is my question. Well, fascinating insights. So thank you, Robert, for joining us again and taking time out to to help explain this to our congressional staff friends here. Uh, to those of you who submitted questions, thank you for making my uh, job interviewing Robert a lot easier. And those are some great questions that were sent in. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you uh, want to hear this again, kind of get the insights again, it'll be up on the Need to Know podcast. You can find that through the Wilson Center website at wilsoncenter.org slash podcasts or on your distributor. You can look up Wilson Center or look up Need to Know and you'll find the Wilson Center version of Need to Know. So I hope that you will enjoy the podcast. Thanks to Jordan for helping to pull all of this together and also to our intern, Wes, who also stepped up a lot to get this done really quickly. Robert, uh, I guess we'll see you on TV and, in, and hear you on the radio a lot today. So uh, get back to it. Really appreciate your help today. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.